Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Mike Dwyer, an actual, honest-to-goodness jet pilot. And I've been trying to get a pilot in here forever. I have so many questions for pilots. And Mike, I've known for a few years, but we're rarely in the same place at the same time. And he was good enough to stop in while he was in L.A. And we chatted. It is great to be back in the country. I was in Thailand on a press trip. And more on that on the next episode. And uh, it was a great trip. That's all I'll say right now. But uh, you'll hear about that on the next episode because I recorded a couple podcasts while I was there. Anyway, let's take care of some business right now. And by business, I, of course, mean the TravelTalesPodcast.com website. That's the address, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. Check out the stories, the photos, the videos, the articles, and everything else. And also, click on our social media links. And by social media, that's, of course, our Facebook page. Give us a like. Our Twitter page, follow me. Same thing with Instagram, LinkedIn. There's a link to our Stitcher radio page. And, of course, iTunes. And if you go to iTunes, hey, give us a good rating, will you? A thumbs up, some stars, maybe say a few nice things. That helps us boost our presence and helps people find the show a lot easier and boost our audience even more. As always, that costs you nothing except a few seconds and a few clicks of your little mouse. So please do that for me. And if you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to be home for a little while. Big summer planned ahead. I'm really looking forward to it. So anyway, no time to waste. Let's get right to Mike Dwyer, Jet Pilot. Enjoy. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm here with Mike Dwyer, and it's a, it's a cool thing that you're here because for years, well, two years I've been doing this, right. I've been trying to get a pilot in here. I haven't had a pilot. You were the first pilot we've had. This is, this is as far as you could go, huh? It's, it's do any better than this, this. This is the best I could do. You're the best I could do. <laughs> My first 10 choices canceled. Yeah. I <laughs> and they were like your neighbors. That's, right. that's awful. <laughs> so... You, we met through uh, our mutual friend Walker, right. who you know as a as a, from college, or you grew up together in Long uh, Island. School, all the way back to middle school. Middle school, oh, yeah. way back. Yep, way back. Yeah. Part of the entourage. Yeah, part of the Long Island entourage. He, yes, and he's like my extended family that travels afar. Right. I get to to run into <laughs> when I'm around. Okay, so we met out here in L.A. at some point, I think, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. And then I happened to be in Hong Kong a couple of years ago, and you said, "Hey." I'm in Hong Kong. Uh, Facebook, isn't that a great It's a great thing. Yeah. It, it, it does serve a purpose every so often. So just so that people know, you are not a, you don't fly for one of the big airlines. You fly private jets. Right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So when I saw you in Hong Kong, you were flying, I believe, President Clinton. I was. That's correct. Was it Clinton yes. or Gore? One of the nope. two you were, it no, was Clinton. Was Clinton. Okay. Yep. So give us a name. You don't have to, I don't know what kind of privacy thing you're sworn to, or are you? They, you can say, who are some of the big names other than President Clinton you've flown around? Oh, um, I see, we've done Mariah Carey a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, I took Will Smith on his I Am Legend tour for nine, ten days through through Europe. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was, that was fun. <laughs> was. Very, very nice man. Very humble. Yeah, was, I've interviewed him nice once, and he was, he was really cool. Yes. Um, traveled with, uh, I see Jay-Z and Beyonce, they... they Charter the airplane from time to time. 
Michael J. Fox. I've had him. Oh, yeah? Some years back. That was – it's going back probably six, seven years now. Okay. So when, I, when you say private jet, how, how many seats are in this plane? Uh, the airplane I fly is uh, 14 seats. 14 seats. So how does this work? Do you, you work for a company that leases these or do, you, do they hire you specifically or the company says, we're going to set you up with a pilot? And... So Jay-Z wants a plane. How does he go yeah. about it? He will call, well, his, well, his people personal will call. secretary, <laughs> yeah. assistant will call and they will, they will call around and they'll just call one of the local companies here and then they'll say, well, we need to go from A to B. And then they'll look around and find an airplane that's available to them. Okay. And they'll call. Now, my airplane is owned by you know an individual, and then we operate the airplane through a company that charters the airplane when it's available. So they'll call us and say, we have a trip from here to here on these days. Are you available? And then if we are and we choose to do the trip, we will. Okay, so with you as someone, you're almost like a freelance person, really. In this case, yeah, my... My normal job is is to the owner of the aircraft, but we we have the opportunity to use the airplane. And there's different, you know, levels of this. Some people have airplanes strictly to do charter work. It's it's there as a workhorse just to to make money and to work. And then some people have an airplane strictly for their own personal use, and that's all they'll ever use it for. And I'm kind of the middle of the road. We we have, you know, it's a private family's aircraft, but in the in the times when they're not using it to help mitigate their own costs they will allow the aircraft to be used and then we you know we do our due diligence and pick and choose the trip so not exposing the airplane to anything on this right so you're in la you're flying the owner right now aren't you uh in this particular case i am okay so does that mean you like on call 24 7 that somebody says it's not quite that strict but (laughs) and that's the beauty of having the opportunity to pick and choose our trips they call us and say hey we have a trip you know, it's leaving 5.30 in the morning. We go, no, we're not available for that today. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, can, we can figure out how we want to do it. Okay. So I've never flown in a private jet before. And uh, that's a hint that's that a maybe I'd like to go somewhere. <laughs> I'm say, it's, um, if I had the opportunity to do that, I would love to have you on the airplane. <laughs> I think most people haven't, but it sounds like it's probably the coolest thing ever. Oh, if only for the fact you can avoid all the security and drive right up to the plane. Everybody you says that's the, most of it. one that's of the coolest probably, part of it. Airplanes are like – for these private airplanes are time machines. Mm-hmm. They, they allow people who need to get from place to place in the shortest period of time possible. Uh, I worked for a previous owner. He used the airplane for a lot of business. We would do trips. I did a trip and we took him to um, – Budapest. Oh, I love We started in the evening. He slept through the night. We arrived in the morning. He got cleaned up, put his suit on. He went into town. We went to the hotel for nine hours. We came back. He came back from his meeting. We got on the airplane. So he traveled and did a business trip in less than 24 hours. To Budapest from New York. Budapest. Oh, my God. So for him, okay. it's about being home. Right, right. So, but okay, now if he charters this flight, you're going to go to New York to Budapest and turn around in a day. How much would that cost that guy or his company, let's just say, or somebody's company? Um, well, <laughs> ballpark it, it. You can it, ballpark it. And it varies on the airplane. Let's say Budapest was a nine hour flight. The airplane operates somewhere, direct cost between four and $5,000 per hour. So four or five thousand an hour, per hour. So you figure, even on the high end, it's forty five thousand dollars each way. Oh man, 
That's almost as much as a New York apartment. Um, almost. <laughs> almost. That's probably not, you know, Central Park West. Yeah. <laughs> so how big of a crew are we talking on a 16, a 14, 16 flight or seat flight? Anything under, for well, the airplane, I mean, how much, you know. Does always have to be a co-pilot? 747 still have two pilots. There's 400 people right. behind you. So always two pilots That's in, a jet, required. in a jet aircraft. Okay. Yeah. There are a few airplanes that have the um, the ability to have a single pilot certification. Very few. They're all very small. So anything that's a large jet always has a minimum of two pilots. Okay. So how did you get into something like this? I know any other. I knew a pilot back in Chicago, and he flies for United. Um, but he was in the military. Right. You were not, were you? No, I'm the few, the proud, the civilian. <laughs> the civilian. Yes. So all I've heard of – some. I, I had a friend took fry, uh, flying lessons, private flying lessons, and he said the big deal is it's expensive to get flight miles. That's the hardest part. Yeah. Buying – you know, building your flying time is – you know, it's a catch-22. They want you to have the flying experience to get the job, but – to get the flying experience, you need the job. Otherwise, you have to find a way to build that time up without you know, having you know, rob banks on a weekly basis. Well, how did you get it? You robbed the um, banks, didn't you? No, actually, I, and, and I did it the way most traditional non-military people would do it. You know, I finished school, um, and when I graduated, I had my, my degree with all my certificates for flying up through instructor. So I taught. I taught students. Someone paid me merely a few bucks an hour to go out and teach. But you weren't a, were you, how did you get enough hours to be a teacher? Well, it's, you know, most instructors, when you first go down to the airport, that's the lowest time guy in the business. He's, oh, really? Most of them. Yeah, the young kids. <laughs> so you're doing the classroom work. Three, four hundred hours. Yep. Okay. Exactly. I finish, and that's a good time, because you finish college or you finish a training program, it's all fresh in your head, you know it all. Now you go out and you teach it to someone else. Yeah. So and during that time you're you're building your flying time, and then you need a break. You have to find a way in somewhere. I I wound up flying small, twin Cessna uh, airplanes in the Bahamas in a little char. It was on demand uh, scheduled service. You were one of those little uh, island hoppers. Those the little TV show wings. Yes, that was I you. Used to fly those small airplanes in the Bahamas, <laughs> Florida Keys. So you were based out of Miami. I was, yeah, out of Miami and Florida. Okay, Florida now that's got to be. Okay, give me, give me some stories on that because everybody's assumed you're, you're smuggling drugs, for no. one. You, know, you, you know, had a plane full of cocaine. Hard Admit to, it. Hard Come to, on. It's hard to do all that. They don't <laughs> let you fly at night. They're, they're there when you, you know, when you land and take off. So if anyone happened to carry something, I may have inadvertently. Mm-hmm. would never have known. As long as it gets through the screens and it, okay. everyone no, tell, passes. Tell me this. Uh, you're talking to a girl in a bar. Right. Uh, saying that you're a pilot. <laughs> Right. You're, you're a married man now, so we I can am. talk about yeah, you, yeah, the yeah, old days. These are the old days, if his wife is listening. Uh, so you're in a bar in Miami. Right. Uh, hey, I'm flying down to uh, blah, 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 the Bahamas uh, tomorrow. Maybe you'd like to come with me. Uh, Tell me that doesn't get you laid in, uh, in it Miami. It might. It's almost impossible to do unless you could figure out how to, how to get them on the airplane. <laughs> Without having to, you know, put we, them in a co-pilot's we didn't make any uniform. money back then to afford the tickets. How are we going to do that? <laughs> are you paid by the flight, or was it a salary on then that? Then it account? was, um, it was per a flight hour, and that's the way most most even airlines they do it. They do it on an hourly rate. You know, the airplane right. when you see the pilot sitting around, they're not making any money. The only time their their paycheck is getting bigger is when that airplane's wheels are moving or the 
you know, the airplane's flying. Now, have That's you it. ever have you ever applied to like a United or American? I worked or for the airlines for nine years. Oh, you did. Yeah. Which flew, which one? I flew at TWA and uh, became part of uh, American Airlines. Mm-hmm. And uh, post nine eleven, when the huge downturn, I got that's uh, when they I cut. Got, yeah, people? I got laid off there. So oh, okay. And I just happened to fall into a position just by you know knocking on doors. I had uh, just prior to my. Uh, my layoff, I had a bad bout with uh, meningitis. Ooh. I was laid up for several several months. Couldn't fly. Had no medical. So when I was back healthy and waiting to get my medical reinstated to me, and I knew I was getting laid off, I used that free time to go around the airports and knock on doors. And you know, I came back one day, and the guy said, I need someone. Can you, when can you start? So I just happened to walk in the right door at the right time. Oh, cool. So but you must have been one of many after 9-11 who got laid off. So you were like younger and lower on the seniority poll. So. After, after American took care of us, yeah. yeah that is, uh, that's that oh, in itself is a long and I remember them. heated story. So, <laughs> so you were when, what year did you get hired at TWA? 1999. Okay. So where were you on 9-11? I was home. You were home. Yes. You were not in the air. You were not at an airport or anything like that. No. Nope. I actually had just started paternity leave. I had my uh, my first child had just been born two weeks before. And I was just going to start my two weeks of paternity leave to hang out at the house. And yeah. So so we as um, passengers saw how everything changed in the airport. Now we got to take off our shoes and all that other and stuff. It happened dramatically and, overnight for us, too. Yeah, for you guys, what was the difference? I know they had to lock that door. Yeah, they came up with ways. And the, the cabin time, door. most of the doors weren't, weren't designed like they are today. You know, they had to modify all the airplanes, and they had to have stop gaps until they could get that figured out. So they implemented, you know, uh, bars on the, on the inside of the doors to keep them from being opened once we got in. Just until they could get the new doors installed, you know, there were there were other safety things that I would never discuss because right, that's right. those are the secrets that don't need to be told, you know. So, uh, but they did the best they could in the minimum, you know, the minimum amount of time they had until they could get the more appropriate defense mechanisms, such as new doors and cameras, and there's so there's a slew of things now that 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 helped did it just make the gig less enjoyable well it's hard for me at, at the time yeah i mean a lot of people were getting laid off and there yeah. was uncertainty throughout the the business and so it was yeah it was a dark time for aviation for sure but for the private jets did that, that help that a business huge boom because yeah. now you know the airlines were cutting services and security people lines talking about didn't, right, people didn't want to wait in them of security yeah. lines so yeah so in the end when i wound up being laid off in some ways, it was you know it was fortunate for me because I actually was able to get in at the time when it was starting to really grow again. So, and we did you know I did all sorts of business travel. We used to do road shows for for banks and companies and take them from town to town, city to city, and you know it was it was a very busy time in the corporate industry. So, how many trips a year do you think you'd take? Uh, Back then? No, no, no. You know, it's probably one a week. Okay, and the average you know, is what two, three days or something like it that. It depends on on you know the, the the owner's itinerary. Sometimes it's you know a day trip. Occasionally it's a weekend. Sometimes it's a week. 
You, so, you usually work with the same co-pilot? That's, yeah, it's actually uh, myself as another captain who is kind of the direct report to the owner. And then we have uh, a third pilot, a, a co-pilot. And we occasionally use additional pilots if we need and a flight attendant. Yeah. Okay, but there's no two. There's only two in the cockpit at, at the any time. one time. Okay, yes. so there's yep. no like third navigator or anything like that. No, no. There's the technology now has eliminated all of that. Okay, so the when I watch the movie Airplane, that third guy is not the. Not anymore. <laughs> it's not there anymore. Back then they were. That was. I mean, that was. You I know, lost a lot of jobs then. You know, it was funny when United uh, first received their seven thirty sevens. They insisted that there'd be a three pilot. Uh, crew, even in a two-man thing. So they used to have guys, they used to call it the catbird seat, and they'd have a pilot sit in the jump seat and just watch. Why? Because the Almost. idea of having less than three pilots was, you know, totally foreign. And that a, guy must have slept half the time. That was, that was a good paycheck for those guys back <laughs> yeah, then. I yeah, bet. so, yeah. Okay, yeah, man, I remember talking to, like, older flight attendants, you know, and even as a kid, I can remember how first class, I never flew it, and I flew, like, once as a kid, you know, when I was right. 10 or something. Back then, it was very eight, expensive to fly. It was really, it, really it was, was a classy no deal. And she yes. was telling me, it was like, I remember carving, you know, roasts. Chateaubriand. In, yeah. Uh, <laughs> crack crab, champagne. I mean, first class was truly an experience. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of waned a little bit. They're trying hard to maintain the amenities, but... It's They're not pulling what back it, everything. It's not what it was. No, absolutely you know, not. So Those mad men days, you... That was the days of you know prior to deregulation when you know the airlines were still subsidized and and regulated by the government. Mm-hmm. So you know they could fly a seven forty seven from you know Los Angeles to San Francisco would be half full. It always made money. They they worked it out. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember so, half empty planes. Yeah. I still kind of remember that. Yeah, those, when did all that end? Was that Reagan getting was, rid of all no, that? No, you know. Well, the the CAB that all ends in in the late seventies. Just around Reagan and yeah. the Carter era, um, you know, and, and in some ways it was it was good, but you know that's it always, as it always happens. People get into the business, they try to you know make the profit as best they can, do it as cheaply as possible, and it it becomes more of you know mass transit than it does. Yeah. It's a greyhound in the sky. It's, in a lot of ways, it's it's come <laughs> yeah. to that. I mean, and, and, yeah. you know, airlines are now finding every which way to minimize their cost. Yeah, no and, food, no know. pillow, no anything. You know, as an airline know. that removed window shades. Trays off. Yes. A one particular airline. It's not a U.S. carrier. It's, uh, it's, it's Ryanair? Is it Ryanair? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, knew, <laughs> I, did, I didn't I want to say it. was going to be Ryanair. <laughs> it would have That is a bus. That, yes. That's not even a Greyhound. That's you know, a city bus. <laughs> they actually were talking about removing Standing. the galleys and putting in vending machines. So they wouldn't <laughs> It's no joke. They were talking about putting coin-operated doors on the lavatories. Yeah. You know, anything you can to – at that point, it's, why do it? I haven't, you know? flown them. I haven't flown them yet, but my friends in the UK, and we've talked about it on this, cheap, on this show, they said, you know, if you're going an hour to Dublin from London, it's euros. fine. 18 yeah, right? euros, you can't beat it. No. But no. I've, I've taken EasyJet. Now, EasyJet is kind of the same thing. It's a step yep. up from Ryanair, but it's still – but the thing is that, that advertised price, 18 euros – if you bring a bag, there's another, throws. you know, it, they nickel and dime you for every little thing. They'll weigh your bag to the ounce, and if it's over, it's like 50 pounds, some yeah. crazy fee. Yeah, a lot of things have changed, and, and, and those are the things, just all the the nickel and the diming of all the little yeah. things that, you know, grind you down. You know? <laughs> and, and you get this expectation, you know, oh, wow, I just 
25 bucks for a ticket. And then by the end of the night, I was like, man, I just spent 130 bucks. Where did it all go? I don't <laughs> exactly. understand. Is so. there, now, from your perspective, of all the bigger airlines, and right. I know you used to work for one of them, do you have a, a preference of American Airlines or of, oh, I no. just said, of a brand? Of U.S.-based carriers, do you have a, a favorite? You know, it's strictly for, for mileage purposes. I, you know, I tend to travel a lot on Delta. Okay. They were doing a lot of the cities I was in. Once you get on, you know, then once you get hooked on the miles, then you kind of tend to keep gravitating back to that company so you can continue to do something with your miles. So, so you have no ins anymore with it? Do you have any kind of, like, connection? No. Any benefits no. or anything? From- no travel. No, American. We had very oh, limited. Man. You know, some of the airlines actually did, did right by their um, – by that furlough crew members. They were kept to keep uh, travel benefits – so you know, I didn't keep any of that. Okay. Well, this is hard. my my uh, buddy from United back in Chicago. He was warning me because, you know, I fly around the world and I take these carriers in other countries. And he goes, you know what we do with our old planes? We, we sell, sell them, them to these, like in Africa, to some of them, Asia. Yes. Some, like many of the third world countries wind up with a lot of those airplanes. But it, I've taken the, some that would go back to like the, the Eisenhower administration. Yeah. I mean, they're like... Having Soviet seen some of the places you've traveled in <laughs> Africa and such, yes, there's there's no question. And you know, honestly, as long as the maintenance is, is kept up on the airplanes, they can they can last indefinitely. I some mean, of those old DC tens are tanks, man. Oh, yes, and that's the problem is they just aren't maintained to uh, yeah. the highest of standards. So you know, it's <laughs> hey, buyer beware. I mean, you, you need to know what you're getting into. But you're talking about like other foreign countries, you know. The, uh, a lot of the Asian companies, they're all national airlines. They're well-funded, and the service is oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You know, like so. I said, I, just, I, I flew Ethiopian Air recently, right, from, we and people hear it, and they're like, ooh, really? And I go, the plane was great. Well, that was my first response. Yeah, you, were, like, you, you cringed a little really? bit. A little bit. Yeah, but they, uh, it, it was great. And, the, and one of the planes was really brand new. It was like sparkling new. Yeah. And you know what the best part about the uh, foreign airlines they're like here, the Mad Men era. They still hire on looks. Yes, at you know Japan Airlines. <laughs> Sexism didn't this, hit right. so hard over there, or it's still alive and well. They recruit. They recruit their flight attendants from from schools. Who does Japan Air? Oh, and they will recruit them from schools, and they get very specific training on on customer service. And then at thirty two, they must retire. Wow, really? From in flight, then they go off and they do other jobs, whether it's ground baggage, customer service reps, ticket agents. They, you know, they cater to, because that's the society in, oh, yeah. in Japan. It's like know, a geisha kind of thing. But very ma- male-dominated. And, oh, yeah. But um, most of the uh, foreign carriers, you know, they're still growing. So they're in that beginning phase, and because they don't have the, uh, the, the laws that protect women, it's really the oh, yeah, I know. It, discrimination laws, they... They can say what they can. You know, back in, when the airlines first started, flight attendants had to be... They had to weigh them. Well, at the very beginning, flight attendants had to be unmarried and registered nurses. Required. Oh. You oh. could not be a flight attendant. Really? For, yeah, so all the original flight attendants were all... You know, young nurses who were single, that's how they got their jobs. Well, that was and all then, their whole reputation. You know, they were like, hey, I've got a couple yeah. of hot stews uh, right. later. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, you see movies from the 50s and 60s. You know, over like, time. Stewardess was code word for like a young hot, a shorthand and, for a young hot woman. Were. I yeah. mean, it, it was really the beginning of the age of flying. Yeah. You know, Damn you, Gloria Steinem. <laughs> 
Oh, my friend would be so happy with that. I'm comment. kidding. Yeah, I'm she kidding, would. of course. Um, so, is there? Give me, give me one. Well, I'm sure that your your a story of uh, your scariest flight, whether in terms of mechanical oh, or weather. Mechanical or well, I've had I've had one of one or two instances. I had an engine literally explode on me. What on takeoff? Just as we were. Lifting off the runway it in was, a big plane or a small uh, in a in a in a Gulf, in a private jet in a Gulfstream as I fly now. Um, it was New Year's Day. How many engines does it have? Thirty in the morning. Two, two of them. Yeah, they all have two. It's okay. There's really no single engine jets that <laughs> fly. Except in the army. I mean, yeah, that's the idea of of yeah, 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 is to have you know that level of redundancy, and it just it exploded. You know, it was like yeah, literally it had basically it did what they call a compressor stall. It the air flow backed up. And spit it back, and then it damaged all the blades. The engine just basically chewed itself up, and it, as it was slowing down, it was commanding fuel, so it was just dumping fuel into the into the burner can, and it created a huge fireball out the back. That the control tower was like, "Wow, you just had a rather large flame." Just <laughs> you were just taking off, just taking off. Oh. It was very early in the morning, no passengers. We were actually moving the airplane to pick up people. Oh, thank God! So. You know, but it was. Thank God, it was it just you. Was literally, die. <laughs> it was literally just like in the in in the simulator. As we when I go to school and train every six months, it happened just almost as as it had been if I was sitting in that machine. The so, engine failed right at takeoff, the worst possible time, and we just. You're so what happens? Does it just like drop? Does it drop no, significantly? No, you just you know, there's does it lean to one side or how does it? It does. Well, it'll start to. You know, Do you a have, circle? Yeah, but we have, you know, we use we use the rudder on the back of the airplane. That helps steer the airplane left to right as you go down. And then once airborne, you just, you know, you adjust that rudder to maintain your, your straight-ahead attitude. And you climb them very slow and at a lower speed. But that's, you know, I mean, the airplanes are designed to, to take that sort of stuff. So. Now, when this happens, I know you've trained for it. Right. Still, okay, uh, my, you peed a little bit, didn't I, you? My heart was in my throat. I mean, it's, you know... But you don't realize that until it's all done. I mean, at that point, it's like it's just a natural reaction. Okay, yeah. that happened. Here's what we're doing. And, and you just follow the steps. It's, you know, a cadence. You're up high. You're cruising at well, how high do the Gulf Streams go? Uh, we'll go up to 51,000 feet. Oh, my God. It gets up there. So with the scariest thing, well, not, there's many scary things, but the losing pressure, like cabin pressure and stuff like That's that. That's always probably the most difficult thing to deal with at very high altitude, especially if you're really at very high Altitudes. You know, most commercial air carriers they don't operate above more than forty, forty-one thousand feet, mm-hmm. and they usually don't get there until they're very light in fuel. Because as they start off, if you're really heavy, you won't even be above thirty thousand feet. And then as the airplane burns off fuel and it gets lighter, they can continue to climb up. We can pretty much climb almost up to forty, you know, into the forty thousand, low forties, right from the start, and then and work our way up. So you're using altitude. less fuel if you're cruising high, right? Yes. yes. You're up there. For, my physics are terrible. No, it's, so. it's, all about, it's all about fuel efficiency. Everything right. is about saving gas. Um, you, know, you also get a better ride up there. It's less turbulence. You know, most of the big storms, thunderstorms, right. once you're above 40, 45,000 feet, there's really very little weather to contend with. Okay, so for us passengers, I'm going to ask all the questions that the passengers right. would always want to ask a pilot. Sure. When they say, okay, we got some rough air ahead, what right. does that mean? I mean you, can you go around it? What, is that clouds? You can't that- really see it. Most of that comes from either the weather 
reports that we have when we get you know we'll get a, a flight package that comes with our flight plan and and all the the forecast weather and so they have an idea based on on atmospheric conditions where you could expect bumpy rides and then that's all backed up with pilot reports as you fly along so a lot of times you'll check in with a controller and he'll advise you was you know light turbulence, choppy rides from this altitude to this altitude, and we'll work our way above and below to, to give the best ride possible. But, you know, it's really just think of it like a boat in water. That's the best way to describe it. it you know, it, it won't rip the airplane apart. It just makes it uncomfortable. Right, so, right. you know, and just like you know, water, when you have currents coming together, it'll swirl around and make little chops and waves, and that's what you're riding through. You know, and the airplane's traveling through, it's hitting these little bumps and chops and okay that's what causes that that kind of i wouldn't call it scary but uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. ride for people who are nervous about well flying. the scariest turbulence i had is the, is the one where you can drop really quickly really yes. fast and what are, is that that's like a like you can drop ten thousand feet and like, like a lot of times it's it's usually mountain wave induced that's you know when you fly over the mountains you get yes. strong winds that'll run up along the mountains and it gets pushed up and those will start waves, and that in in those circumstances you can run across. And if you if you look at the news reports, because usually once twice a year you'll see some airplane ran into bad turbulence, someone got thrown to the ceiling, broken yeah. arm, and that's almost always over the mountains. The only other place that happens is out over the Pacific Ocean. There's just areas in this world where the weather <laughs> is just and, yeah. and you can't see it. That's the worst part. Is you'd be riding along. And it's happened to me once coming back from traveling back from China at night over the you know darkest part of Russia, 40-something thousand feet. And for about two minutes, it was like being on a, on a bucking bronco. It was oh, horrendous. And it was scary because you, you don't know how bad it's going to be, if it's going to get worse. And there's nobody around. You can't talk to anybody. And we were doing thousand-foot oscillations. And we were just basically... You know, the speed would get so fast that if you didn't let the airplane climb, you'd overspeed the airplane, overspeed the wing. It becomes – that's when it becomes dangerous. So I would have heaved my guts out. Yeah, well, at that point then it was <laughs> just, just hold on, you know, and try to keep the airplane <laughs> in one piece. But So it does happen. And, yeah, it, and yeah. it came out of the blue and, and we did make a pilot report and there was uh, a United Airlines flight going to Chicago from Beijing. And they were about 10,000 feet below us and they said they hardly had anything. So. You know, we just hit that one spot. They could have been 10 miles east of our track and missed it all. Wow. So, Which is why you always wear your seatbelt when you're sitting. Never, never sit in that cockpit without, without <laughs> a lap belt on. You just don't know. Okay. So, yeah, when you talk about mountains, one of the scariest landings, and I had an ex-girlfriend who was really didn't fly well, and we were going to Aspen. And that's oh, a scary that's, airport. That's a tough airport that is to a fly. Tough airport. I'm sure as a private jet, you've flown into I've been in uh, there, Aspen. I was there just about a month ago. Yeah, catering rich people around. I'm sure you went to yep. Aspen. That's a hard. They say that's a hard airport because it's so it high. You got to drop quickly over the mountains and land. It's at high elevation and it is tucked in a valley. And to to get into that airport, you have to fly just over the top of the mountains and descend very rapidly down to get into the valley to be able to land. And it's a one-way-in, one-way-out because it's so close to the mountains on the far end that there's no way to circle around. So you have to contend with the winds. Now, right. Well, two months ago, they had a private airplane that attempted to land there with like a 30-knot tailwind, something <laughs> silly, very, very silly. You know, it cost them. You know, one of the pilots was killed in the, in the Oh, no, crash. really? Oh, yeah. It was 
very bad crash. Oh my god! You know, piled up at the end of the runway in a ball of fire. You know, it's not good. Wow. So, and I've they have you can you can see there's videos of it on YouTube. The security cameras from the airport, and to watch that you know unfold is like oh man, <laughs> that's you know, and you think it's always good to have the attitude. I can get the job done. Sometimes you know. That little bit of fear, that overriding yeah. sense of maybe this isn't such a good idea is the thing that usually <laughs> will save you. Now, I've flown into some airports around the world where they call it an airport. It's really just a gravel strip and then like a chicken shack. What are some of the right. craziest airports you've flown into? You know, most of the airports have been pretty good. I used to fly into some small airports in the Bahamas where it oh, was yeah. just a beat-up old runway. And, and basically, <laughs> like you said, it was just an old building, you know, at the end at the end of the runway on the side. And that's it. You know, part of the ramp was even was even dirt for the small airplanes. So most of the airports I've been into, even the ones in, in tougher places to get into, have always been at least well-conditioned runways. And But I know, you know, up in Alaska, and there's some guys, they – those are true. Those bush pilots. Well, you got to do land on the water usually in Alaska. Some of them will there. do that, right? The seaplane guys, yeah. mean, they'll fly in anything. But a lot of those guys, they fly, you know, the big oversized tires into, you know, basically, you know, ungraded, you know, dirt strips out in the middle of the, yeah. you know, the, the trees and stuff. It's. Did you ever do seaplane stuff? I mean, no, it, it, not even in the Bahamas. Seaplane. No, you know, and I and I always had thought like maybe that'd be kind of a cool thing to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just never never got around to doing it. So Well you talk about these countries you've been to, like Russia and China and, and you've been to parts of Africa you've flown into. Yeah, yeah. Were there some uh countries you've gone to and you're like, Man, if I never fly back into that country again, I would be okay with it. Yeah. Is it like particularly <laughs> scary? I mean, in terms of like their military or they just they don't they don't have their shit together? Where did we go? I'm trying to think of uh Because they all have to speak English, right? That's the universal well, universal language, yes. Of it's, aviation. it's supposed to be English and there are varying levels of abilities of that <laughs> yeah. around the world. So yes, it's sometimes you you don't always get someone right. who speaks Russian. Hey, they're doing better than I am with the language that they're Yeah. You know, so But it is kind of their job to Yes. Know it. Uh yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, and it definitely it, it can it can make for for problems. Where did I go to? I'm on the West Coast now. I'm trying to think. I've lost. Uh, it's, it's a, <laughs> you can't it's, think when you're on the West Coast here? No, West Coast of Africa. We, oh, right. We did a trip. We stopped in the Azores, and then we flew down along the West Coast. Was of, it Liberia uh, or someplace like that? Or? I've been to Liberia. That was that was away from the airport was kind of scary. Being yeah. at the airport at this one place was uh, was a little, you know, let me look at the map. Yeah. Tell you. <laughs> you want to go? Quick. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Take a look. Gabon. 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 That's it. We stopped there for you know, about half hour before we landed, and that was our only fuel stop. About a half hour we landed, the, the controller in his best possible English said, no fuel available, say intentions. And we were like, uh, well, we have to land. <laughs> we don't have anywhere else to go. So, And we had to sit. They had gone on a strike, and the fuel trucks hadn't come. We waited for about seven hours at the airport. We were not well received. Yeah, I'm sure it was a beautiful airport. Yeah, cushy, well appointed. We basically sat on the airplane and waited. (laughs) So, (laughs) did you have like a big important person in the? We were taking, you know, we were taking uh, a a family down to. uh, They were they did a couple things. Actually, one of them I think went uh, on a game hunt. Oh yeah. So we had stopped in Zimbabwe, and they didn't have any fuel there. So we had to stop to make sure we had enough fuel to be able to continue on to Johannesburg. 
in man, West uh, Africa Africa is a crapshoot, man. It's it, and it is, and you have to have you know contingency plans for that kind of stuff. <laughs> I learned that lesson that day. Yeah, yeah. Where was the? <clears throat> what about the place that I remember you last night? You were mentioning something about they they demanded cash from you. Oh somewhere? yeah, that was in that was, it was in somewhere Liberia. in West Africa. It was in yeah. Liberia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we thought. Tell that sure. story. You you flying um, in? You were this like CIA people? We flew the DEA in there to pick up. Okay. Uh, a group of people who were being brought to New York federal court to be prosecuted for aiding and abetting Hezbollah. They were oh. basically they were smuggling money and and laundering money, and then sending it through. Now, the DEA people, I have the utmost respect for because they work. They're in country doing all this stuff in scary parts of the world, doing things that a lot of people, you know, don't know about. <clears throat> and it was, it was impressive to see these guys. I mean, they're fearless with it. You know, it's, uh, it's like second nature to them. But when we finished and we were getting ready to leave, uh, I went to, you know, they, they, again, they, they bring you along so they all can get their pound of flesh from you. Right. You know, everyone needs a cut. And, you know, the lady was like, you know, added up my bill was three thousand dollars, just over three thousand. To do what? To land? Uh, to be able to depart. That was their airport handling fees and oh, that's other a, such handling fees. Handling fees. Okay, sure. And always so, cash, right? Uh, now, and they insisted cash. Of course, no, I'm, sh- no I'm sure all that cash gets to where it's supposed to go. Yeah, and I, you know, so I was kind of, you know, kind of like pull the dust out of my pockets. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I don't carry that kind of money with me. I give you, I have like two hundred dollars. <laughs> Now she and they're just completely indifferent. Like okay, and they kind of look at you, shrug their shoulders, and you're not leaving. It's a stare down. You know, like ah, all right. So, but the uh, the DA guys are well versed on how to operate over there, so they were able to get it all straightened out. <laughs> they had they had sufficient funds available. Yeah, I'm them. sure they did. I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had any uh, run-ins with like military aircraft where people say, no. "Hey, you're coming in our airspace," and no, I, Liberian airspace. <laughs> no, I've always made sure I've had uh, appropriate overflight reservations. Mm-hmm. So I have not had, and you know, I've done trips like you know we've gone to India, flown over uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, and you know, oddly enough, that's all American controllers over there. Oddly enough, because the military, yeah, yeah, they run everything. So, and then you get to India, and it's again you're trying to fight through the you know the language and the mm-hmm. heavy accent, and it's like know, calling customer service. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not even because they, they eventually they pick up. Uh, right. So, okay, answer this as a pilot. When we okay. pull into the, uh, we get to where we're going. Right, we're at the airport. Right, and they said, "Well, our gate is busy. We have to sit here. Find another goddamn. There's a million empty gates. Just pull. <laughs> out, let us off this thing. Why can't we just do that? I, you know, I, because it's all about money. Because oh. people pay for those gates and they have schedules. You pay and, for the gate. Well, all the airlines, and most of those gates are leased. So, oh. you know if. Delta owns ten gates. You know, United certainly ain't going to give them a yeah. you know a helping hand. Oh, come on and park on our gate. We'll figure out what to do with our airplane. You know, and there's so much traffic in and out of those gates. And that's the thing. It's like everything else now. You know, it used to be you get on an airplane, seventy percent capacity. Now they're ninety yeah. percent. Man, there's maximum efficiency in everything. And the gates are the same way. Mm-hmm. You have a gate and you're paying a lease. You have to put as many airplanes as you can. So they make those ground turns as tight as they can, and they keep thinking. You know, eventually something always gets screwed up. So, and then it's the cascading effect, and it just gets worse. So, right. are we getting to the point with uh, we can have free Wi-Fi on every plane? You think? 
As long as people can't use their phone. I don't want people gabbing on their cell phone next to me. Yeah, and it seems like I think most people tend to agree that regular traveler seems to feel like... Wi-Fi is one thing, but phone service, no, come on. And that's, you know something? Once you have Wi-Fi, you You have phone service. Yeah, you can do Skype Skype and you can do all those things. That's the one downside. So... You're counting on people not to be assholes, which is a tall order. Yeah, that's that's tough, you know, having... uh, you know, common courtesy. Yeah. You know, it's like common sense. It, it's not all that common anymore. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had like one big uh, or somebody completely freak out on the plane? Someone who's really f- afraid of flying and you had to like, or anybody die or anybody like heart attacks or? I had a passenger pass away on a flight. Oh. Yes. Old guy? Or was no, it, it was a middle-aged woman. She had a, had a heart attack. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like mid-flight, or were you... Not long after takeoff, and there was no flight attendant. It was a small airplane, 19-passenger, commuter airplane when I was flying before I worked at the majors. Someone tapped me on the shoulder. I'm like, who is, who is this? And he's like, there's a woman in the back. She doesn't look good. So, oh. yeah. What do you do? Throw a blanket over her? Or the, the other passengers well, are looking point, at we, this dead person? Yeah, there. we went, you know, we asked if anyone, you know, was a medical uh, technician or, you know... No one was on the airplane, worked in the medical field. We went back as quickly as we could. That's, you know, we're kind of limited. Today now, though, you know, I have uh, all flights do. Not only do they have... Uh, the, the paddles, the... Uh, well, they have the AEDs. And yeah. We're all trained. Like, I'm CPR qualified, first aid, AED qualified. I do that every year. But we have uh, a phone service called MedLink. We can make a phone call and write to a hospital in Arizona. And... This is what they deal with. So we can actually get actual doctors to talk to us and walk us through anything that we need to do, immediate medical care. So they can actually help diagnose a lot of this stuff. So uh, there's a lot more safety in, in tech, you know, with the technology. Good things and bad things. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right? Well, turning off your uh, electronic equipment on takeoff and landing, bullshit or, or come on? You know, back in the day, I think it, when, <laughs> when, when the navigation was, especially, you know, the approaches and stuff were all based on radio navigation aids, yeah, I could see definitely the, the, the need for that. You know, a lot of that stuff now, um, and they still, you can leave it on, they just don't want you to use the antenna. They just don't want all that broadcast interference, unless you're using it through a device that, that they can, you know, Shut protect, off themselves the, well, or protect the signal. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're, they're keeping uh, the bandwidth that they use for navigation protected. You know, when you have everyone's just doing stuff, they don't know any better. It's, right. so, and I've actually seen it happen once where, you know, the other pilot flying with had, his, has, had left his cell phone on and we were flying an instrument approach and the needle wobbling back and forth. <laughs> what is the problem with this thing? Uh, so, Okay, when they land and they uh, do one Eleanor on the thing. Oh, one one Eleanor. What the hell? Who's Eleanor and what, what is she what doing? What is she doing? What, what, what is that? Those are the emergency exits, the, the door exits. All those doors are armed. You know, when they ever say, uh, you know, okay. front door is armed, ready for departure. Yeah. They secure the, the slides. You know, they're kind of like trigger mechanisms. So if that door opens, that slide opens up and operates automatically, inflates. So they have to disable those after you land. So that's just everyone saying, okay, 1L, which is the front door on the left, and 1R, front door on the right. Because all those doors are numbered. That's how they know where to go. So you're saying 1L and R? Is 1L and R. No, yes. it's Eleanor. Right. I was like, who is Eleanor? <laughs> yeah. And every airline's got their own routine of how they do it. Right, okay. But that's, yeah. because they, And they've had circumstances where someone's not done that, and they open a door and... Oh, you know, God. It's like something out of, uh, out of airplane. <laughs> yeah. you know? 
Is there one U.S. U.S. airport that you hate flying into? That you just go, oh, I don't want to fly into that one. Yeah, uh, no, they're all pretty much uh, like airports when they're really busy. I mean, back in the day, I mean, LaGuardia was a parking lot. It was yeah. that was a terrible airport to fly into, just because it was just so much traffic. You can go to Philadelphia in, on a beautiful, bright, sunny day, and you'd have to fly, you know, circles in the sky holding because just just too many airplanes, not enough <laughs> of their space. I mean, but you know, all the airports, you know, honestly, it's. One piece of concrete laying in front of me, it doesn't really bother me. Walker was like telling me a great story last night about when you guys were in Florida and you decided, hey, let's oh, go back, back up. Back in the old school days, Let's yeah. go back up uh, to Long Island for the weekend or, or anything, for a night you, or something. Anything you want to do for a party at that age, right? You can't <laughs> you just, miss the big And you just changing. rented a plane and you left. Yeah, and it was. I mean, the intention was to, to get some flying experience, as Walker said. You know, we were actually looking to do it and we were trying to plan a trip and then, you know, we, we get word from back home that there's going to be you know a big party with some friends so you know we we put it all together quick and off we went that was a lot of fun that was a great experience <laughs> of all the movies that you've seen that take place in planes or whatever they it's all a, suck. are they all bullshit all i mean terrible. or what's the closest to coming to the real thing can't any tell of them you? no I can't tell you. All I didn't of them. see Flight. I didn't see that one with Denzel. That was probably the worst one of all. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was funny because I was in the movie theater where I'm sitting with the guy next to me and we're going, oh, shit. <laughs> really? I heard he flew it upside down or something like that. You know, something, and yes, and in that thing he does. But what what is the real joke prior to that is, you know, for some reason the engine suddenly start catching on fire. They don't know why. So he's like, okay, put the fires out. So he pulls these handles which cuts off all the fuel and all the hydraulic and all the electric to the engines. And that's what those handles are for, an immediate cutoff of all, of all services, the emergency fire handle. Just prior to his big role, he's like, okay, when I tell you to, give me full power. I'm like, didn't he just cut off both engines? <laughs> you know, right? those are out. <laughs> what's what, what else you got in the bag you know and then they show the engines firing up and i'm like oh my god and like I'm, and i looked at him and i said you know no one has any clue no, no we, we don't know it's all you know it's the it's the throw factor <laughs> i mean it's the big it, and it it's a great scene i mean the graphics when you watch that airplane it, i mean it's like, right. wow that's actually pretty that's pretty good cgi and whatever they had or they did that but yeah it's just complete and that's the way all of them you know they spend millions of dollars on, on actors and, and trainers and all this other shit. You'd think they'd spend a hundred bucks because that's what I'd do it for. <laughs> to go in there and say, no, it's not the way it works, guys. If, that, if there's some fidelity in a movie, please just right. do it on, on the flying side. Or don't make the flying movie. So you're telling me you've never had snakes on a plane? No. <laughs> I have not. No. But not. you've had like rappers on a plane. Yes. So, okay, without naming names, yeah. give me some so, good – how much weed was on the uh, uh, aircraft? Now, all been very respectful of that. And this, okay. this, is, this is not We've heard stories of, of Justin of Bieber. Bieber. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dope. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I can see that happening going, what do you do? I don't know. Let's put the oxygen mask on. Right. Was, but have you ever had, like, a party going on back there? You've had to tell them, okay, you got to chill out for just – at least no, you know, while so, we land. No, we, we pull the door closed and try to keep it as quiet as can. I mean, I've had it where you can hear the music thumping. It sounds like a, like yeah. a nightclub behind you. It's just, <laughs> you know, people do what they do. It's, it's their airplane. You know, I'm just there to, right. so, you know, I'm a glorified limo driver in many cases. You know, mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. We're just transporting people where they need to go in, in a level of comfort that they can afford. Was there any, uh, like, trip that you took that lo- you look back on it now and was like, that was, that was an awesome trip? Like today, say like we're going to Paris for I've a done, week, and you just hung around or something. My former employer was a fantastic and extraordinarily generous 
person who, when we would travel, would provide us with our own guide and driver. And so we'd land in China. He'd be like, go see the sights. So I've, you know, I've gone to, and we've gone to some really cool places like the uh, Tianzi Mountains with uh, the Avatar background. Oh, yeah, with those had, tall, thin mountains. Yeah, and, that's, you know, that, that looks incredible. That all came from, uh, they were actually mountains from under, when it was still covered uh, in ocean water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it eroded lifting, the sandstone around yeah. the, these hard rock, yeah. Really, it's magnificent. I mean, the views were breathtaking. And you know, a little scary at times because, like, like we were saying, like, you know, in America, you'd never get away with putting, like, you know, a steel gangplank on the side of a thousand foot cliff. Yeah, and know, this land of lawsuits. No, we don't, no, we, you can't no do way. that. Yeah. You know, so to, to, to have traveled to see that and go out, uh, you know, I went to the, uh, up into Chinese Mongolia, up north, up near the Russian border, and saw the, they call it the grasslands, and it's, you know, you know, it kind of looks like Kansas. I mean, it's, it's right. beautiful. It's it's very different from what you would expect. And I remember being there with the with the guide, and I said, "So, you know, like, do you find all this impressive?" And she's like, "Oh, it's very beautiful." And look how blue the sky is. And I was like, "That's the way the sky always yeah. is." You know, that's the way it's <laughs> I'm supposed usually in to it. look. From <laughs> she lives in Beijing, and you know, it's oh yeah, this she's from the smog, pollution the smog capital of the world. Is it that bad? I've never been beyond it, the it's, smog. Really, you wake up in the morning, and it, it's like. You're lucky if you have a tenth of a mile of visibility. I mean, it's just completely oh. pea soup. It's like the worst fog you've ever seen. Like the June gloom down in San Diego, yeah. you get that heavy rolling fog. That's what, and it's smog, and you think, oh my god, it's just. I do say when people talk about getting rid of the EPA, I go go to some of these there. countries where they don't give a shit, oh, man. Where they could just dump anything into the rivers and the it's oceans. Hard for the and Chinese, the, yeah, because you know they live. And they have such terms, a large coal service. Yeah, they, and they they. There's no way they're going to be able to change that over with their population anytime soon. And more and more people are trying to buy cars, and it's just like there's yeah. no yeah. And end you know, of it the in city sight. Harbin, you know, because I always thought, well, it's just Beijing, right? But now the city of Harbin, which is northeast, and I have traveled to, it's even worse than in Beijing, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> wow, um, which is a shame because that's it's a very cold climate. That's up near Vladivostok, it's up in the Russian oh, northeast wow, okay. corner. Uh, super cold, like. The cold side, and the air is still been. bad when it's that cold. That means if it was hot, you wouldn't be able know to know what it's like. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, you know, I, when I was there, the high was minus five Celsius, so you know I'm at minus ten, twelve degrees. Yeah. But it went down to minus forty <laughs> at night, <laughs> brutally cold, and it, it it freezes. There's a river that freezes over, um, like in October, and they they excavate. They literally carve the ice right out of the river, and they build this huge park of ice, towering twenty story displays disney castles and and all sorts of stuff it's it's really like truly disney frozen over really wow. really neat it's beautiful and they and they 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 run lights through them so at night it's all lit up the harbin ice festival harbin china yeah it's probably a small town of 10 million there yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, know it's one of the 50 cities of 10 million or more definitely a small city and there wasn't a lot there but then you know you drive out and the park is enormous oh, it's wow. almost in a city of itself really really neat who are you flying up there just some they have a factory, yeah. somebody has a factory no no actually i was traveling with my former owner he wanted to see wanted this to festival? see the, the festival he you know so we went there and then we went to have a huge tiger um zoo there's all sorts of uh, mm-hmm winter animals and so they had that and we saw that as well and again you know we get there he goes off and, does, and he's here's your car here's your driver <laughs> go see the sights he he that he enjoyed that that for him you know was as important as him seeing it that we got to experience some of that i went to the the 
the World Expo in Shanghai with him for that. Uh, as even as his guest, I actually traveled around through the expo with him. It was I haven't neat. been to Shanghai. I haven't been there. It looks like really cool looking, like futuristic. Very like modern. Early. That's modern China. And they say if you want to see. Because uh, you know I've been to Hong Kong. History, I was with you in Hong Kong. Yes, right. They say but if you want to see 50 year old history, go to Shanghai. If you want to see 500 year old history, go to Beijing. Right. And there's tremendous, beautiful things to see in you know, the Forbidden City and, and the Great Wall and the Summer Palace. All those are really, really neat stuff. But if you want to see really old, like 5,000-year-old history, go to Xi'an. 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 And that's where the terracotta warriors are. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But yeah. There's, a, there's also another um, place you can go to called Bampo. It's a 6,000-year-old uh, enclave that they managed to find. and you know, It's the oldest known. 6,000 like, 6, years? 6,000 years old. You know, we were still running around you yeah. know, chasing each other with spears <laughs> and, you know, the mammoth. And they're living in, like, societies yeah. here in China. It's really, really – They had cable. Neat. That's how advanced the Chinese were. (laughs) They were making pasta already, and they had cable. It was, you know, really interesting (laughs) stuff. The Terracotta Warriors is 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 definitely a must see. I mean, yeah, that looks. Those photos look amazing. And there are thirty kilometers of those things. It's surrounded. It's a ring ring surrounding uh, a tomb. Yeah, it's all underground, right? They're all. It was all buried. He. was a little crazy. He decided that he needed a an army for the afterlife. Yeah, an imaginary army. Yeah, you think it's good to yeah. be the good so, to be the emperor? Yeah, I, or you can just tell people to. They say now. Think of how many thirty kilometers they trenched eight feet down these trenches that encircle this his tomb, and they have this. You know, it's all covered with trees, timber, and then covered with bamboo mat, and then covered with dirt. That's how they protected the yeah. the army. And all of these, you know, the warriors, it takes them two weeks because uh, they still do it. They actually, you can go and watch the guys, how they, different stages, because they've, they've continued to actually do the, the, you know, the making, molding of the clay and then firing it and then. Oh, they're still making them? They still make them there. Yeah, they still, I think wow. it's more part of the, of the tour and the display, but they've right. continued the tradition of how to, how to how do, do that. They do it? And the heads are, the heads are done separately. They've determined there's 12 different, 12 different heads, faces that they've been able to find. <laughs> But they said it would take um, 700,000 people 48 years of daily working to, to make – To make all these? That's crazy. So, I mean, that's, that, that's probably families' entire lives. Was, oh, yeah. It was just – Well, the wall to, is the same thing, you know? Yeah, well, the wall was put together by several different emperors uh, yeah. in the dynasties, and then eventually it was all merged together towards the end. I got to get – so, so these, the warriors, how far are they from, like, Beijing? It's an, like an hour and ten flight. Okay. There, there's normal scheduled service. Shen's a fairly, you know, uh, busy city, so you you can get normal airline service there. Um, and I'm sure if you did tours and stuff, you'd be able to, to get there easy. If you're going to go to China and see some places, you know, Beijing's got all the the well known and people know of the terracotta Warriors, yeah. but You have to see it. You have to go and no, that see sounds it. cool. So and why not the history of it and how big it really is? It's a little mind boggling. So now that you've gone like around the world and and seen all these things, has it changed you? Any way as a person, you think, or Absolutely. like your views on life? I'd always, you know, I always learn something about the culture. And I try to, you know, when I can, if I feel comfortable enough, we'll, we'll venture out a little bit to see some of the sites. You know, I was in Lima, Peru last week, and I went down to see some of the uh, Inca temples that were there just south of the city, which and it wasn't a lot, but 
interesting to learn how a lot of the culture is. I didn't realize that the Incan, that's only like 1400, 1200 BC. I'm sorry, AD. So it's, it's, it's relatively close in our history. Oh, yeah, they have. So, and then the Spanish came. And then the Spanish that was came. Touring anything in, not a popular man <laughs> yeah. down there. Touring anywhere in South America and Central America. And it was like, well, and this was this, and this is society, and this sort of thing. And then the Spanish And came. then the conquistadors <laughs> came, and then now we all speak Spanish. Well, that's what makes Machu Picchu so, yeah. so important to them. It was one of the only cities that was not conquered by the Spanish yeah. during the time. So, And I, I was... A little disappointed that I wasn't able to get up to see that. It was just a little, <laughs> the elevation was a concern. So, um, but do but you, you think know, it really kind of changed you as, as like how you what you want out of life and the things you look well, at? Or yeah, at the end of your days, you have what you've done. You know, so for me to have the opportunity to travel around the world and experience and something that people need to do at a younger age. I think a lot of people have the mindset of, well, when I get older, I'll have enough money and I'll do it. There's no guarantees on any of that. You know, so save your pennies. Make the extra thing. Do whatever you have to do. Go out and see the world now while you have the opportunity because, one, you may be too old and health issues may prevent you. You just, you just never know what tomorrow brings. So, you know, carpe diem, right? Strike while iron is hot sort of thing. <laughs> um, I do think that you can keep yourself humble. You know, live in this society where we have everything. It's mass quantity. You travel to some of these places and you know. You've, you travel to parts of the world and it's – it's it's almost shocking. I mean, you kind of look around with a mouth agape, saying, oh "My God, how do people do this on a daily basis?" So there is uh, definitely parts of the world where I think you need to. It's a reality check. You realize, you take for granted the even the simple things when you're like, "Well, I need to get this fixed," and yeah. I, you know, I hate this thing, and my car is that. And, and you don't think about it. Hey, we have a working power grid that we don't think about that it's always running. Running water, <laughs> running water you can drink, of, drink out of, of and not get dysentery. Right. Out yeah, of. I mean it's it really is, and and I think most people would acknowledge that. But until you really go and you see it, I mean, until you drive through it, walk around it, you know. I mean, I did that in India, went oh, India to Hyderabad, uh, and they said, "Well, we'll come out, and we'll show you our city." And I, and I walked around, and wow, it's, it's brutal, rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So you get on the airplane, and you go, man. So happy to be going home to sleep in my bed, you know. I mean, because yeah, you know, I mean, fortunate, you know. So in that in that sense, yes, I think that kind of keeps me a little grounded, you know. I mean, I always strive to to make something myself, do better, have a nice house, have the nice car. But yeah, you know, sometimes you, when you go out, you go, oh, you know, some my car is pretty nice as it is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, shouldn't worry so much about chasing <laughs> yeah. that almighty dollar. You know? Yeah. When eighty, I think they said like eighty, eighty-five percent of the world population doesn't own a car, much less a new one. <laughs> you know, so and people worry about. I, I gotta get that. a, I gotta get a new car. It's like, but, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I think your car's probably fine. Yeah, and I saw that in Liberia. <laughs> Everybody's walking, yeah. walk along the side of the roads, and if you, you know, you see something will slow down long enough, somebody jumps onto the back of it. I mean, anything mm-hmm. to do to get a ride. You know, <laughs> so you know, it's uh, even in China, it's like that. You know, I we're in parts of China. Like up in you know, the northern part of Mongolia, man, it's amazing, you know. But it's funny because in the end, I mean, it's the, everyone has the same desires. I mean, you see his houses are all dilapidated, dirt floors. There's nothing in it. They still have a television, a satellite dish, you know. It's, <laughs> you know so you find the things that make you happy and hold on to that. And be, you know, say a little thank you for having the opportunity to live where we do. Yeah, no, you know? it's great. 
Well, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. This was fun. So I enjoyed it. where can people, if they have a spare $100,000 and want to take uh, a trip, can give they... Give me a call. <laughs> Is there a website they can get... go to? They can yes, hire you? You can. You just look at anywhere. It's very simple. Google, air, you know, private aircraft charter. There's probably one in every town that you can call. You know, in L.A., there's more than probably 10 at every airport that you can get. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, there's just some guy working in his office, and he's kind of like the middleman. He'll take his little slice, and he'll get you He'll get you an airplane. So just for like if I wanted to fly from L.A. to San Francisco on okay. a weekend, and I wanted to... Just you? Or me and maybe and even a special else. lady. How about Two, that? Two, three people, small. Yeah. You could, you could probably do that for a you know, round trip. It's yeah. an hour, two hours. Yeah, probably five, 6,000. Five, 6,000. That's more than... Well, it, it takes like... No, no, you're right. An hour, two hours. Yeah, it's an hour. It's about an hour. Five, six thousand round trip. Round trip per person or the whole nope. hiring the you, plane. You, you know, some when when you rent you rent the airplane, you do what you want with it. You can stuff that thing to the gills or sit there by yourself. <laughs> I've been on an airplane with, you know, fourteen seats and one person traveling halfway around the world. He needed the airplane, and, he, and that's the only way he could get to where he was going. Right. So, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter what you put in it. Once you charter it, you own it. You do what you want with it. Cool. Well, you've so. inspired me now. All right. I have something to shoot for. I'll be looking I'm gonna for I'm going to get you. on that jet, damn it. I'm I always gonna... said I should have spent more time trying to get in the back of the thing instead of getting <laughs> in the front of it. You know, so we'll have to have you with us. Cool. Fun. No, that'd be awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. It's Mike Dwyer, everybody. Time.